I'm Sam Slater from Fun Calibre and today I've been joined by Kirsty Desson, co-manager of ASI Global Smaller Companies Fund. Hi Kirsty. Hi. Um, you've recently been made co-manager on this fund. What was your career path towards this role and how are you going to be working with the other co-manager Alan in practice? So I started um, my career at another Edinburgh-based investment management firm called Martin Curry. Um, when I joined as a graduate back in 2000, I spent my first eight years there, first of all on the US desk, and then I moved to the Asian Emerging Markets desk. And then in 2008, um, I decided to take a career break and have my family. And then in 2012, I decided I wanted to actually rejoin the industry. And then I was lucky enough to uh, be offered this position at ASI. So I came on board um, just after the Global Smaller Companies Fund was launched. So I've, I've really been part of the team more or less since inception. So Alan and I, um, for most of that time, uh, have sat next to each other. <laughs> we um, know each other very well. Um, since last year, we've been co-managing a SEG fund together, uh, which has worked extremely well. Um, and to be honest, um, this change in title is as much a formal recognition of my contribution over the last eight years um, as anything else. So pretty much business as usual is just you have license to argue more now. <laughs> exactly. Um, and you've mentioned already that you used to work on a US desk and an Asia desk. Obviously, there are thousands of smaller companies around the world, if not more. How many are there exactly that you have to look at? So as of the last count, there's just over 6,000 small cap stocks in the index. So how do you go about sifting through all of them? Um, as you, you may know from talking to some of my other colleagues, um, we have a three-step investment process. So in the first stage, um, all the stocks in the universe are filtered through our proprietary stock screening tool, which we call the matrix. Mm. Um, because there's only eight of us in the team, we think it would be extremely difficult for us to be able to manage that sort of universe efficiently. The beauty of the matrix is that um, it's totally consistent, it, it's very disciplined, and it's entirely objective. The 13 different factors in the matrix, which are all weighted according to the quality, growth, momentum, and value characteristics that we're looking for in our funds. Um, so once all the stocks are filtered, they're each given a score, and it's from there that we then go on to do further work. And is it this further work that you use to then get down to the sort of the 50 or 60 best ideas you have for the portfolio? Yeah, so we start off with 6,000 stocks um, before doing any screening. Mm. Post-screening, we come down to around 1,200 names. So once stocks are given a score, um, we analyze the top quintile of those names. And we take out any illiquid names, which um, gets us down to about 800 names. The reason that we focus just on that top quintile, the top fifth, um, is that our back testing shows that stocks which display strong quality growth momentum characteristics 
have the highest outperformance. So we, we know that if we focus on just those names, there's a high likelihood that we'll continue to outperform. And at this point, we distribute those names amongst the team and we each do a deep dive into the fundamentals of those stocks that are within our regions. So what we're really trying to gain an insight into is um, the sustainability of the growth of those companies. Um, we're looking at ESG factors, which are very much linked to both quality and growth. Um, we're looking at balance sheet metrics. And we're really trying to work out uh, what's not priced in by the market. So where the upside momentum is going to come from. In a um, high conviction portfolio of we usually run around 50 stocks. Mm. We're really trying to just cherry pick the best ideas that the team's looking at. So that any ideas that make it into the fund have to be better than an idea that's already actually in the fund. Okay. And a UK smaller company is obviously going to be a lot smaller than a US one. You know, a US smaller company is more like a large British one, I think, isn't it? So do you look for companies of a standard size or will it vary greatly from country to country in that respect? You're right. I mean, there's a huge divergence within the index. So our, diver- our definition of small cap is based on the MSCI categorizations, which is the MSCI consider the bottom 15% of each regional index to be small cap. But the, the largest stock in the index is a US company, and that's got a market cap of around $22 billion. Um, whereas the smallest stock in the index is, um, I think, a, a little Indonesian company um, that has a market cap of around $14 million. So there's uh, a huge variance uh, within the index itself. And could you perhaps tell us about a couple of your holdings that you've got at the moment, sort of why you've picked them for the fund or something interesting that we may have actually heard of? Sure. So um, one of the stocks which I think is most exciting um, is an Australian company that you probably won't know about, but it's in all of our day-to-day devices it's a company called Appin. Appin is the, the global leader in data labeling and annotation for machine learning and um, artificial intelligence devices. So the data that the company labels could be in the form of images or videos uh, audio recordings or any sort of written text. So a whole multi Appen takes in data from a whole multitude of sources. One of the uses that we've probably come across in our daily lives is if we have a smart speaker and you ask the smart speaker to play your piece of music. Mm-hmm. Um, what that device has to do is first of all it has to recognize the words that you've spoken. Then it has to understand the order in which you've spoken those words mm. and then the relevance of that order, i.e. your command. And finally, it has to come up with what the correct response is. So the accuracy of that response is dependent upon both the machine learning tools and that all those little pieces of data have been accurately labeled. Mm. So 
Mapping has the broadest library of data in the whole industry, um, which also means that the accuracy of that data is extremely high. Um, and as you can imagine, the amount of raw data that these companies are having to deal with is exploding, is constantly changing, um, and it's becoming more and more complex in the way in which um, the likes of Appen has to deal with it. So the need for these types of services is growing exponentially, um, as is demand for all these machine learning and uh, artificial intelligence kind of tools. So Appin is one of our largest holdings in the fund. Um, we think it's a really high quality company, thanks to all these barriers to entry for other firms trying to do the same as what they do. It's got a very clear growth outlook. And we think that because they keep innovating and um, adding new services, we'll continue to see upwards earnings momentum in this kind of name. Uh, so that's one of the stocks that we have. Um, another name which your investors will probably know very well um, is Trainline. Uh, so mm. Trainline listed in the middle of last year, and it's the, the number one train ticket retailer in the UK. Um, we know from our experience with uh, platforms like Rightmove and Autotrader that if you are the first mover in a particular niche, then that is extremely powerful in terms of your ability to garner market share. Mm. And there's a number of reasons why we like Trainline. Um, first of all, it's, as you probably know as well, it's very straightforward. It's a very easy to access tool for customers. It's a great way to plan travel and see live information to book tickets. Um, and secondly, actually aggregating train data is extremely complex. It's far more complicated than aggregating data from airlines. There's multiple operators, there's multiple price options, there's numerous stations. Um, information is always changing. Um, therefore, it would be very hard for another provider to replicate the kind of offering that Trainline has. Mm. So we don't see another operator coming in in the same way as, as Trainline uh, already exists in the market. Um, and from a growth point of view, um, we see again several catalysts to the growth story going forward. Um, obviously, we're seeing more people buying tickets online. And we see more people accessing Trainline's platform in the UK. I think Trainline's app is more downloaded than the likes of Uber in the UK. Um, oh, gosh. The company, yeah, the company <laughs> is, um, is now also adding coach travel um, to its offering to help provide that integrated solution for customers, which will um, add to that competitive moat even further. Um, and the company is now, the next leg of growth will be the push into Europe. Mm. So we see all of these factors together helping to re-rate train line into the future. And that's why we continue to hold that sort of stock. 
And lastly, when we're recording this, we're coming off the week when stock markets around the world have been plunging on the back of coronavirus and the worries there. From an investment point of view, how do you deal with a black swan event such as coronavirus? Is it something that you now have to monitor on a daily a daily basis or you have weekly conversations about? And how do you go about assessing the risk of something like this on the holdings in your portfolio? Or do you just have to ignore it and carry on regardless? I don't know. Yeah, it was obviously a very painful week looking at screens mm. last week and, and from a personal point of view, just uh, worrying um, knowing that there was a virus heading towards the UK. Um, but as I mentioned, I mean, we have a bias towards companies that have this quality growth momentum characteristics. And what this means is that um, they tend to have more robust balance sheets, um, there's less debt, they're more cash generative, um, they've got very defendable competitive advantages, um, whether it's a technology, technological innovation or superior distribution model. Um, and they tend to be driven by decisions taken by company management as opposed to any external macro factors. Mm. Um, and what that all means is that the portfolio is more should be more resilient in the event of any sort of one-off shock. I mean, last week was obviously... Um, uh, all markets sold off. In fact, I think it was the worst week that markets experienced since the global financial crisis. Mm. Um, so we saw a lot of indiscriminate selling and investors taking cash from names which had done well. Um, a lot of the selling was passive-led um, and that did affect some of our holdings. Um, what we expect is that if coronavirus persists, um, then we'll start to see some differentiation in markets and quality names that have all those characteristics that I've just spoken about will start to outperform again. So as such, we're not taking any significant action in our portfolios. We do anticipate that coronavirus will spread further. I think it's inevitable, sadly. But what is encouraging is that awareness levels seem to be very high. So individuals are taking responsibility to take precautions, wash their hands, uh, self-isolate, mm. etc. I think governments around the globe um, have followed in China's lead and they seem to be acting very quickly to try and contain or shut down this virus. And um, markets seem to be encouraged by the fact that central banks said they'll step in to provide liquidity. So we do think that the first quarter will be very badly affected. We've already seen negative numbers coming out of China specifically. And there may be some hit going into second quarter. Um, but we expect that um, economic activity will rebound and possibly rebound quite sharply in the second half of the year. And we think that markets will very soon start to look through this near-term weakness and into um, a more positive um, economic environment going into the second half of the year. Certainly, I mean, if you remember that back in January, um, economic indicators were already starting to tick up and there were, was some optimism mm. at the start of the year. Um, and we feel that 
um, coronavirus has, whilst it's perhaps pushed back the recovery, it's definitely not delayed, it's definitely not derailed it. That's really interesting. Thank you, Kirsty. No problem. Well, thank you for having me. I'm Sam Slater, and if you'd like to find out more about the ASI Global Smaller Companies Fund, please go to fundcalibre.com and please subscribe to the Investing on the Go podcast. Please remember we've been discussing individual stocks to bring investing to life for you. It's not a recommendation to buy or to sell. The fund may or may not still hold these stocks at the time of your listening. 